Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, I feature Dawn Williams Boyd. She lives and works in Atlanta, Georgia, and is best known for her self-described cloth paintings, which reinterpret the traditional craft of quilt making in a contemporary context. Working across a wide range of media, her art consistently showcases her masterful use of color, form, and texture. In addition to her signature works on fabric, Dawn has also made captivating figurative paintings and collages. This year, 2022, Dawn received her first traveling museum exhibition titled Dawn Williams Boyd Woe. The first leg of the exhibition, organized by Daniel Fuller, was held at Lupin Foundation Gallery at the Lamar Dodd School of Art at the University of Georgia. It then traveled on to the Everson Museum of Art in Syracuse, New York. The next stop is the gallery at the Hembold Visual Arts Center at Sarah Lawrence College in Bronxville, New York in September. Also in the fall, Fort Gansvoort will present new works by Dawn. Her work was recently acquired by the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the Everson Museum in Syracuse, New York, the Museum of the Equal Justice Initiative in Montgomery, Alabama, and the Birmingham Museum of Art. Additionally, her practice was highlighted in the New York Times Tea Magazine, White Wall Magazine, Hyperallergic, Cultural Type, The Atlantic Journal-Constitution, and others. Enjoy this episode featuring Don Williams Boyd. Don, welcome to my Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. Delighted to feature you. Thank you so much for having me, Phyllis. My pleasure, my pleasure. When did you discover your artistic passion? I was 16 years old before I discovered that I was actually good at something. Um, My parents had gone through the process of many parents back in the early 60s of trying to enrich their children by giving them poise lessons and music lessons and dance lessons. And I was terrible at all of those things. (laughs) But at my junior year in high school, the school had not until that point had any kind of arts enrichment program. So out of the blue, they decided to have a a visual art component to add that to their curriculum. And they they grabbed the biology teacher at, to perform this. And I don't know what kind of artistic background she had, but she came into the biology lab one day with uh, some of your audience will be old enough to remember the old styrofoam wig stands. Yes. <laughs> and so she came in with those in a big bag of paper mache and she announced that we were going to do bus of our lab partners. Um, this was with no preparation, no 
notice, no nothing. And it turned out that the bust I did of my lab partner, Debbie, was the best of the group. And so that was a eureka moment for me. I had finally found something besides cheerleading that I was actually good at. So I pursued my art career from there. Um, the only art prep I had had until that point, my mother was an elementary school teacher. And again, uh, back in the day, they used to do bulletin boards as the source of information for teachers and uh, pupils and their parents. And she um, did was in charge of doing the bulletin boards. And at a relatively early age, I was given the task of making the letters for the bulletin boards. So she taught me to make block letters. And from that point, it was my job to figure out how big to make them and what style to make them in. And so it, you can see in my work that I have continued to do that. But those are the, the stories that are associated with uh, what I do now and what I'm passionate about now. When did you decide to study art? Um, at that moment, <laughs> in the, in the <laughs> biology lab at, in my high school, because, you know, I had, as I say, I had not learned to do, uh, or at least I had not uh, figured out that I was really good at anything. The other things I liked to do were to read and, like I said, to to cheerlead. And so I purposefully chose a college where I could concentrate on building my art skills. And as far as I remember, aside from making letters, I didn't have any until that point. I'm, you know, a lot of <laughs> artists say that, you know, they were little kids and their moms put their precious little drawings up on the on the refrigerator. I didn't have that experience at all. But at that point, I decided that, okay. I'm apparently fairly good at this. So, you know, let's let's see where this takes us. Right. Let's um, run with it. <laughs> much to my to my mother's uh, chagrin, I guess, that she had spent so much time on French lessons and so on and so forth. But I purposely chose a college that that did not this sounds terrible, but that did not require freshmen to take math, science, or languages. And so I figured, well. Since I'm not good at any of those things, that'll be a great place for me. And so I went to Stevens College and uh, I was after the first semester of my freshman year where they did require us to take certain things. Um, I spent the next three and a half years basically in the art department. That's great. And can you recall what artists influenced you? I was very much into old European masters. I developed a love for um, the, I believe he's a German uh, painter and engraver Albrecht Dürer very early. Um, I loved the, the, the chiaroscuro of um, Rembrandt and Caravaggio. I still do. I was fascinated by their ability to manipulate pigment in such a way that it was three-dimensional, that it looked like you could touch it and feel the fabric that they were using. I was engrossed in the 
ability to use light um, in the way that it did. I was I was totally engrossed in the painters of uh, that you find in your art history books. Um, at that time, and you have to keep in mind, this was the very early 70s and that I was in Columbia, Missouri doing all this. There were, at least I had not discovered any visual artists who were people of color at all. And it was, it would be several years later before I became engrossed with um, the African-American, the African, the Black aesthetic. So I was all about European painters at that time. How would you define your practice? My work discusses the journeys of Black people in the United States from this country's historic racial atrocities against us and other people of color to the way in which climate change is going to affect our grandchildren's grandchildren. I talk about the lives of women and our continuing struggle for the right to control our own bodies. And for the last few years, I've been very concerned about humanity as a species and our ability to rescue our environment and rework our interpersonal and international relationships. I've used various mediums over the years, but I currently make cloth paintings. They are large, very colorful, figure-intensive, representative images, mostly of Black and brown peoples. Instead of painting on fabric, which most painters are doing because they're using canvas or even fiber boards, I use the fabric as my pigment. I use my sewing machine, my needles, my embroidery floss as my paintbrushes and uh, palette knives. Interesting. So there occasionally I combine the acrylic skills with the fabric skills, but that's extremely rare. Only if I'm unable to find a piece of fabric that works perfectly for what I'm trying to portray, I can fall back on my painter's skills and just paint it and then uh, sew that fabric onto the, the piece. And, and how deep into your practice did you drop the paintbrush? Oh, I have been making artwork since the mid-70s. And I began to work exclusively in fabric in 2001. So it was, what, 30 years in, 25 years in. Working in cloth solved a lot of problems for me. I began to want to work very large. And in the early 2000s, my work had begun to be accepted in exhibitions outside of Denver, Colorado, where I was living at the time. And so transporting it became a problem. I have a very vivid memory of trying to move uh, uh, an acrylic painting that was on corrugated cardboard from one end of the city to the other, uh, not to mention out of state, but just from one end of town to the other in the back of my convertible doing a snowstorm because that was the only way I could get it there. And so when I, 
I was asked to do a teacher's workshop on Faith Ringgold, the painter. And what I found out, the most one of the most interesting things I found out about her is that instead of uh, leaving her work stretched over stretcher bars, what she would do is to remove it from the stretcher bars once it had been painted and attach it to a cloth background and uh, patchwork the edges in fabric and then roll the entire piece into a tube and mail it to wherever or ship it to wherever she was exhibiting. And again, my brain just exploded. I'm like, oh my God, what a great idea. <laughs> and so I went on from there and thought, well, if you if you're going to use fabric that way, why not just make the entire image out of fabric? Like I said, I learned to sew as a very young child. And so it was a true change, a, a, what they call a cosmic change in the way that I work. I began to make my images in fabric and it, it changed everything for me because now I can put it in a tube that is, you know, six by six by six or six inches square and mail it to wherever I need it to go. I don't have to build a box for it <laughs> or make a crate for it. It was just, it was eye-opening. It was life-changing. That's great. Are childhood memories incorporated in your work? No, not really. I've been painting, like I said, since the early 70s or making artwork since the 70s. And I, I realized the other day that if you were able to um, have all of my work in one place, you would have a chronicle of my life because my subject matter is reflected of what's happening to me at that time. <laughs> what, however I'm being influenced, if I'm reading something, if I'm watching something, if I am, if I have met a new person, if I have... Uh, you know, what's what's going on in the world around me, that's directly reflected in the artwork that I'm doing. So it could be something as simple as uh, a suggestion that the work that I'm doing is very dark. And so, you know, I immediately turn around and make a whole series of pieces that are about cute little kids. Hmm. Uh, in 2016, when our former president was elected, it changed my subject matter. I immediately began to think about and to create around the world that as it was at that time. So no, I, I don't think about what was going on or, you know, personal memories. My work is only personal in that it reflects what I'm going through at the moment. Mm -hmm. And do you listen to music while you're creating? I listen to my local NPR station during the day because that's where I get my news. Um, that's where I get a lot of uh, ideas about the work that I'm doing. When they start to repeat themselves at about seven o'clock in the evening, I turn to music. I listen to oldies and to mostly female singers. I, you know, I like Aretha and Alicia Keys and Adele and, you know, music that I know the words to <laughs> so I can sing along as I'm sewing. That's great. When do the titles of your work entered the creative process? They're usually second. 
I have what I call art flashes. If I hear something or see something that um, that uh, attracts me, I have um, a flash, which um, usually involves uh, seeing the piece finished. And until recently, I had a little notebook that I carried with me that I would try to, you know, pull over when I, if it happened while I was driving and, you know, jot down notes about what the piece was about. And almost immediately, I, it comes with the title because I, I feel like I need to call it something. So if I jot the title down, then that will remind me um, if it's, you know, six months or a year later that the title and the notes that I've made will remind me of what I was feeling, what I was thinking, what my emotion was at the time. So the titles, I like really long titles. Uh, if the piece is a historic piece, then I've got to include, you know, an emotional title and then a title that includes where it happened and when it happened. Um, in my Sins of the Father series, for example, there is um, always, you know, something that says something about the emotion. And then this happened, it'll say, um, I don't know, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 1942. So the titles are very important and they almost always come right away. How do you define Black art? That is a really good question. And I've decided that it is artwork that's done by Black artists. And whether we're talking about visual art or dance or acting or fashion or cooking or whatever kind of artistic medium you use, I don't think it's possible, you know, even though uh, an artist of another race can certainly render uh, images of Black people, uh, I don't think it's possible for them to feel and to translate that feeling into their work. There's a certain, um, where they say, je ne sais quoi, that comes with being a Black person, um, history, culture, you know, you can see it in the way that we carry ourselves, in the way that we speak, regardless of where we're from, um, the way that we express ourselves. And there's just something about us that's different. And we embrace that. And when we are trying to express it in the artwork that we do, I think it shows whether you do images that are obviously Black, like the work that I do, or whether your work is abstract, I think there's something about it that reflects your history and reflects who you are as a Black person. What are you excited about right now? I'm very excited about the um, upcoming exhibit. Um, I have two exhibits um, that, well, one that is up and, and traveling woe is the show that is actually, it's probably of just about to leave the Everson Museum in Syracuse, New York. It's moving on to the Sarah Lawrence College Museum in September. And then I am in the midst, I'm in the last phase of creating artwork for an upcoming solo called The Tip of the Iceberg, 
which will open September 15th at Fort Gansevoort Gallery in New York. Um, I have 13 pieces that I'm completing. I'm doing them assembly line style, and I'm on the last two pieces. I've, I've got a a back-to-back piece that talks about the cyclical nature of ghettoization versus gentrification. So the piece that I'm working on talks about those two, that that turnaround. And so I'm making a piece that is that can be shown with the two pieces back-to-back. So my point is to get people to sort of walk around the pieces in a circle and so that they feel the constant change of uh, neighborhoods uh, that go through that process uh, over, you know, a 50-year span. And it's been, it's a lot of fun to sort of try to do two pieces at once. They're very similar as far as background is concerned, but the figures are very different. So I'm doing a little bit on one and doing a little bit on the other. And I'm really looking forward to this exhibit. Since I began to work with Fort Gansevoort, this will be the first opening of an exhibit that I've been able to do in person. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm very excited about being in New York and, um, you know, that whole New York, New York thing. And then the other thing I'm really excited about is that my younger daughter, Iyabo, is about to uh, give me my first biological grandchild. That's wonderful. So, you know, I'm having a very, <laughs> very busy summer. I'm, so I'm kind of, you know, nervous, excited about that whole thing. <laughs> That's wonderful. And, you know, when you're, when you're creating, do you think about who your audience is? Honestly, not really. You know, I had many, many, many years of making artwork that, Um, was occasionally shown in um, either local or um, other galleries or exhibitions, but spent the most of his time in my studio piled up on tape. And so I decided years and years ago that I could not be concerned about the audience, that I needed to make the artwork for myself. And that if and when there were other people who looked at my work, I certainly hope that they enjoy what they see, that they learn something from what I've done, uh, particularly the historic stories, um, but that I could not let the possibility that someone might not like, understand, get what I'm doing affect what I'm doing. Um, I do the work um, that I enjoy doing and that tell the stories that I want to talk about. And so though I appreciate, particularly those audience members who are purchasing my work, I don't let the fact that they are purchasing it or the fact that, you know, someone is looking at the work. I don't let that affect how I'm making it. No, not at all. Mm -hmm. This has been a great conversation. And my final question is actually two questions combined. What do you feel is the purpose of art and what is your role within that context? 
So I, I have a, a two-part answer to that question. The purpose of art, frankly, in my opinion, is to keep us sane. I cannot imagine a world where human beings exist with no outlet for our aggressive tendencies, with no outlet for a way for us to express ourselves, to express our emotions, be they benign or aggressive. The purpose of art is to allow for that. We need a way to relate to each other on a, a level, on a scale that is sort of beyond the individual talking to another individual. We need a way to tell the stories of who we are and what we want and what we don't want on a, a more than an individual to individual basis. And then what is my job? My job as an artist is to tell the truth uh, as I see it. I'm a, a 70 year old black woman who lives in the United States of America. And I have experienced history at least of the last 50 years. And I feel like it's my job to pass on a uh, my perspective of what we have been doing for that time, what we're doing right now and how what we're doing is going to affect our generations. It's my job to have something to say about what's going on. And I hope that I'm doing a fairly decent job of that. When you, when you dig up the remains of a civilization, whether it's the pottery or the, the uh, pyramids or the cave paintings or whatever, when, when future generations dig up the remains of where we are now, I want them to be able to say, well, okay, this, this, and this happened. And at least this is the way this one person felt about what was happening and to be able to compare it with how other people at that same time felt about what was going on in, in the world at that time. So that's my job. <laughs> well, thank you very much for the work that you do. And congratulations about the upcoming birth in July. <laughs> thank you very much, Phyllis. <laughs> thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram. <laughs>